Verses 12 to 16, and it's on page 1203 in the Church Bible. That's 1203 in the Church Bible. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In Mark chapter 10, Commencing at verse 17, if you have a Bible, a church Bible, page 1014, or 1014, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. <clears throat> As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. <coughs> Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, Which 
with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. How you doing? You all right? Nice to be with you again. Really good to be with you. I, I'm really blessed to be worshipping with you this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your holy word and for what the writer of Hebrews says. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Oh God, we open our hearts to you today. And I pray you would do just that. Speak to them so that we might go out from here, living in your power, allowing you to do great things through us, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The call, come on, follow me, echoes down through history. And everyone is judged by the answer they give. A quote from theologian Tom Wright. And I want us to look afresh at this passage from Mark's Gospel today. It's not a passage about giving every single one of our possessions away to follow Jesus. Really, it's, it's all about the heart. Not about grabbing, seizing, and snatching at life to, to feather our own nests. It's about giving away what holds us back from true spiritual freedom in Christ. So this guy, he comes to Jesus. And we know nothing much about him, do we? Matthew tells us he's young, Luke tells us that he was a ruler, and Mark tells us that he was rich. And that's it, the rich young ruler. And here he is in front of Jesus asking a profound question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did a young lad in first century Judaism think about the concept of eternal life? Well, there were two ages that the Jews believed in, the present age, i.e. life now, and the age to come, when all prophecies would be answered, the righteous dead would be resurrected, and everlasting blessing would come upon the earth. So when the rich young ruler asked this question, he's not talking about going off to heaven when he dies. He's concerned about this age to come and whether he's going to be a part of it or not. And I wonder why he was so concerned. So that's the starting place of this text. Now this guy, he had everything. In verse 22, we learn he had great wealth. He wasn't just doing all right for himself. 
He'd probably been working hard and done what it takes to earn his status and assumed that eternal life was something he could get hold of and then tick that one off on his list of achievements. He was doing very well for himself, great wealth. He'd feathered his nest very nicely indeed. He kind of presumed that he was going to inherit eternal life, but to be doubly sure, he needed to check with someone whom he recognized had spiritual authority. Was he spiritually sorted, or was there something else that he needed to do? And so he approaches Jesus and calls him good. A nice bit of thoughtless flattery. I bet this guy had good interpersonal skills. I bet he looked sharp. I bet he carried the overconfidence of an estate agent. (laughs) But he played this one unwisely, didn't he? He played it unwisely because good was one thing you might call a respected Greek teacher, but Jewish rabbis were never called good. That title was only reserved for God. Why do you call me good? Jesus said. Why would you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's given the young man a chance to reflect on what he's just said. Think about what you've just said. He's saying to him, could I be God, young man? Could I be? And if I am, what should your response be right now to me? Picture the scene. It's, it's dripping with irony, isn't it? God in the flesh talking back to this young, overconfident, rich guy. No one is good except God alone. Jesus doesn't wait for the guy to reply, does he? He just moves the conversation on. Every single encounter that Jesus had with people, he knew exactly how to get to the heart of the matter, the spiritual nub of their life and all that was going on within it. Think about the Samaritan woman. Think about Zacchaeus. Think about Martha. Think about Nicodemus and all the others. Jesus is about to push this young ruler's buttons just that little bit more to help him reflect some more upon the state of his heart. You know the commandments. And he goes on to list some of them. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this young ruler is very quick to stress that teacher, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. But there's a problem. Do you see it? Jesus has left out the first four commandments. He's not mentioned, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make an idol. You shall not blaspheme and remember the Sabbath. You know, if this lad was so knowledgeable and so well-versed in following God, shouldn't he have realized that Jesus had left a few out? Jesus has mentioned commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9. Murder, adultery, theft, and perjury. He adds an extra one. Don't defraud. And then he finishes back on 5. Honor your parents. Shouldn't this young lad's heart have pounded inside him as he became aware that three out of the four commandments Jesus left out were to do with putting God first, not making idols, and commandment 10, covetousness. Quick Bible quiz, which one wasn't mentioned there? The answer is blasphemy. Covetousness, putting God first, idols. How was wealth affecting this young guy's wholehearted following of God? Wholehearted obedience. But Jesus doesn't go to town on him, does he? He doesn't pick holes in his life. 
He doesn't list this young lad's faults. In fact, this next bit is so, so tender, isn't it? Mark tells us, Jesus looked at him and loved him. The original Greek is, beheld him, looked into him, and loved him. Imagine those heavenly eyes of God in Jesus, looking into you and his face smiling at you. And you're thinking, you know what? This guy seems to be reading my soul. Wow. Jesus knew the young man inside out, as he knows each one of us inside out. And he says, one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The invitation of invitations he's giving him. The challenge of challenges to abandon all that's holding him back and to use that to bless others and then follow this rabbi with the promise of heavenly treasure. Wow. Would he go for it? Would he do it? Would he go, yes, Lord, I am all in for you. I wonder what it would be like if Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, Sundar Pichai, they, I wonder what it would be like if they just wanted to check in with Jesus, like this rich young man, to see whether they were on the right track to eternal life. Would Jesus say the same to these young founders of Facebook, Twitter, and Google? Maybe, but maybe not. You see, it all depends on the condition of their hearts. What would be holding them back from following Jesus? Wealth isn't bad. It's not wrong to have money, but it's what or who we worship that matters, isn't it? And as one of my friends always tells me, we worship what we love the most. We worship what we love the most. So sadly, at this, Mark tells us, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. In other words, he realized the size of the God that he'd been worshiping and the enormity of abandoning his idol and following Jesus instead. It grieved his heart. The cost was going to be too much for him. He went away from God. And I wonder what Jesus' face looked like when he saw this guy whom he loved, whose soul he had peered into, turn away from him. Were those eyes that, that looked into him now moistening over with tears? Because Jesus knew that he would soon go to the cross for him. The call, come on, follow me, echoes down through history and everyone is judged by the answer they give. Jesus wanted so much more from this young man. But the young man, he, he just was not prepared to give Jesus his whole heart, his whole life. He therefore couldn't follow him. Why? Because wealth had become his spiritual blockage. It become his idol and his God. All he'd been relying upon to experience this age to come, his ability to acquire, grab, influence and buy, these things just weren't enough. And he couldn't see past his wealth. Okay, he may have diligently obeyed the laws of Moses and the Ten Commandments as he saw best, at least some of them, but Jesus saw the spiritual blockage and he called him out on it. 
Go, sell, give. That's the way for you, young man, to get rid of that God that's blocking your relationship with me and my Father. If you do this, you'll have real treasure, the treasure of knowing God in the age to come. And you're so, that, this age that you're so desperate to be a part of, you'll have all of that if you just follow me. How hard it will be, he told his disciples, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to have riches, like I say. You know, many, many Christian charities are underwritten and bankrolled by the generosity of rich Christians. It's part of the kingdom of God. It's great. Yet there's something about wealth that, if we're not careful, it gets a hold of our heart and spiritually imprisons us. It's easier, Jesus says, using an impossibly absurd image, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, material wealth was often seen in those times as a great blessing from God, a sign that he favored you and that your place in the age to come was all signed and sealed. Jesus' ministry turned all of this thinking upside down, completely. As humans, you and I cannot rely upon what we conveniently assume are God's blessings to grant us eternal life. We can't rely on that. So the disciples at this point are feeling like maybe some of us here are a little bit disturbed about that. Peter's like, you know, hey, Jesus, <laughs> whoa, we've, uh, we've given up everything for you, haven't we? Look at us. You know, we've done all that you've asked us to do. Okay, we're just like, you know, fishermen. We don't have much money, although Matthew might have a few squirreled away. But, <laughs> you know, Lord, we've, we've given it all up for you. We've given it all up for you. James and John, they were set to inherit their dad's business. But they followed you too. Look, we've given it all up for you. But Jesus reassures them at this point that this new thing, this kingdom of, of God, it, it actually works. God can do anything. What we think is impossible in life is really nothing to God. If we follow him, if we choose to go all in for him, all in, he never fails to bless us with what is good for us and what will benefit others too. He also promises to work through us to make the kingdom multiply and propagate like a mustard seed. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Wow. And the kingdom is topsy-turvy. It doesn't have our earthly values. But many who are first, Jesus says, will be last. And the last will be first. And in his father's kingdom, Jesus is telling his apprentices, nobody loses out. Nobody. If they leave their idols behind and follow him, they're all winners. Today then, know that Jesus beholds you. He gazes upon you, each of you, because he loves you. No strings attached. Isn't that wonderful? He just loves you like he loved the rich young ruler. He loves you for who he's made you to be. But this God who loves you, he wants more and more from you. Because he knows your potential. 
for the kingdom of God. And he's got so much more to give you, to reveal to you, and if you're up for it, to do through you, whatever age you are. So here's the challenge this morning for you and for me. What's the one thing, the one key area of your life currently preventing you and me from following Jesus in a deeper and closer way? What's got hold of our heart? Do we go away sad when we realize what it's going to cost us to go that little bit deeper with God and give up certain things or maybe even come to faith in Jesus if we don't already follow him? You know, you can pray with someone about that after the service. There's people here who would love to pray with you about that. When we give up the things that hold us back, like the disciples, we never, ever lose out. We receive abundantly more than we could ever have imagined. That's how the kingdom works. Yes, when we choose to go all in for Jesus, we should expect hardship, expect opposition, expect even the possibility, as Jesus is keen to point out, of persecution. That's the rub, I'm afraid. That's the deal. That's the taking up your cross part of being a disciple. But boy, is it worth it. Now and in the next life for eternity. That's how it works. But if that question on the screen doesn't resonate with you this morning, well, maybe you're like Peter, a devoted all-in disciple. And your Christian life currently feels something along the lines of, I've given up so much for you, Jesus. I've served my guts out in church over the years. I've tried telling others about you. I've followed you with my whole heart, at least I think I was. What now, Lord? How can I go deeper and experience more of your kingdom today? Well, the answer to that is to keep going, to keep on keeping on, keep serving. We heard, didn't we, from um, Melbourne about keep, keep praying, keep praying, keep doing it, keep yourself fresh, keep, keep getting involved with kingdom causes. The essence of this passage is about the condition of our hearts. So be honest with yourself today. What condition is your heart in? If you're spiritually tired, is it time to engage in the basics again? learning how to rest in God, to practice Sabbath, to cease from endless activity and just be with God without having to prove anything to him or to the church family here. Or maybe it's more of a case of, where are you, Lord? Where are you? And God's saying, where have you been? (laughs) The writer of Hebrews reminds us, doesn't he, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's experienced what it's like to be human. Furthermore, we can each approach God's throne of grace, the writer says, with confidence this morning to find mercy and find grace in our time of need. You know, what was that we sung earlier? If we don't, um, if we don't feel it, you're working. If we don't, whatever, you're working. <laughs> He's always working. He's always working in us, in the background like a hard drive in a computer, just defragging us, just doing something, because he's always at work, because his spirit lives inside each of us, and he loves us. So, that's how we get back on track with Jesus today. 
and we can each do that today. But if you're fine, if you're sitting there feeling fine, you're okay, you're happy, and life couldn't be better, if this is a good season for you, turn it back to him in praise and thanksgiving and continue to follow in the footsteps of the servant king, serving him with joy as you serve his church. Our spiritual lives, let's be honest, they are seasonal, aren't they? Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down, sometimes they're just plateauing and chugging along. And we need to recognize that and be honest with ourselves in the fact that it's okay to not be feeling close to God today. That's okay. It's just also okay to say, yes, me and God are feeling like that today. <laughs> That's okay as well, all right? What matters is that each of us is continuing to be faithful in our hearts to God simply by continuing to follow him, okay? And not turning back when the weight of our own cross feels uh, that little bit too much today. The call, come on and follow me. It echoes down through history and everyone is judged by the answer they give. So as a finish, let me leave the last word to the Apostle Paul for you to read on the screen. Because he inspired the Philippian church with these familiar words. And I've put it in the message translation just to make it stand out a bit more to us. All right? Amen. Just take some time to read that. <laughs> 